Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. It's good to hear all the happy voices and um, the nice sunshine shining. So let's stand, and we're going to sing together, Jesus Messiah. Our themes of all the songs that we chose this week, um, all are ones that we felt helped to explain the gospel. So um, I think this, this song does an excellent job of that. So let's stand and sing together.
this one tells the whole story of the gospel, how Jesus died for our sins and he rose again and he saves us and one day we get to go to heaven. Afterwards, um, we hear the call of the kingdom, and then um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we follow, we bring hope to the world. We're filled with passion and power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. Song rise with 
mercy came in Christ to redeem all who trust in his unfailing grace. King of heaven, we will answer the call, we will follow, bringing hope to the world, filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. Hear the call of the kingdom to be children of light with the mercy of heaven, the humility of Christ, walking justly before singing. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a great pleasure it is to see everybody here this morning. It's gorgeous to see just thinking this morning how grateful I am to have grandkids close by. Watching Amber play the piano this morning and Jade came and helped put flooring in Dad's place yesterday. And we were privileged to be able to, even though we couldn't hardly see each other, we could see each other outside to so go skating with the grandkids this winter. So uh, it's a privilege to have grandkids close by. Uh, also, it's so great to see you guys. Good to see you, Lorne, and uh, all of you guys. We'll have our call to worship this morning, and we'll say it together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High, to declare thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness by night. Psalms 92, 1-2. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come and worship you this morning in this facility. We thank you that uh, things have opened up 
so that we can uh, have more people gather together. Just pray that this uh, COVID uh, virus will continue to slow and uh, we will be able to continue to get back to normal. It's all in your hands and we uh, look forward to what you have in store for us. Just pray that you'll be with us this morning. Pray with Pastor Glenn as he uh, ministers to us what you have on his heart this morning. Just pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to what he has to say. Your name we pray. Amen. For scripture reading this morning, we'll be reading First Thessalonians chapter two, one to twelve. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The kids' trivia quizzes is left at the back, or are they all gone? So some kids didn't get any? My apologies, I didn't make enough copies, so sorry about that. So some of you do not have a trivia quiz, so that doesn't mean you get to not listen to the sermon. <laughs> I'd still like you all to listen to the sermon. So, sorry about that. We'll make sure from now on we got more copies out there. Um, I apologize to you. Apologies to you kids who didn't get one. As we prepare to look into this passage that was just read, let's, uh, let's just ask God to guide our thoughts. Lord God, uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this particular passage that we're looking at this morning. As we go through it, I pray that you would help us understand what it is you're saying to us to uh, hear your voice to each of us personally and to know what you're saying to us personally. Help us, Lord, just to be open to, to that. And, uh, and, Lord, just be willing to allow you to feed us in our hearts and souls from your word this morning. We pray in your name. Amen.
It's an old joke, but uh, you probably heard it before, uh, maybe, especially some of you older people. <clears throat> but it's the only joke that fits with the direction of this sermon that I could find, so here goes. The inmates of a prison had a joke book of a hundred jokes that they all had memorized. And uh, they used these jokes to help get through each day as they were on their labor gangs or chain gangs or whatever they were on. Uh, all, the all the jokes in this book were numbered from 1 to 100. So some fellow would call out a number from 1 to 100 and everyone would laugh at the joke. A new guy came into prison. And after a short time, he got a hold of the joke book and he started memorizing and he memorized all the jokes in the book. And when he had it all memorized during the next day, he said, I want to tell a joke too. And so the fellow said, okay, go ahead. And he yelled out, number 20. Nobody laughed. <laughs> and he asked the guy beside him, he said, why isn't anybody laughing? And the guy said to him, buddy, you told it wrong. <laughs> it's all in the presentation. <laughs> and we're going to be talking this morning about sharing the gospel, about telling others about Jesus and his death and his resurrection to provide for us the salvation we need from the penalty of our sins and how, and how we go about presenting the gospel or sharing the gospel. That's important. So presenting the gospel. Christians over the years have come up with some very innovative ways of presenting the gospel message to others. Some have been absolutely horrible, <laughs> but some have been pretty ingenious. I came across a story about a, a Christian ophthalmologist. How many of you know what an ophthalmologist is? <laughs> That's an eye doctor. One step up from the optometrist, next level up higher in eye specialty is ophthalmologist. So anyway, ophthalmologist named Jack Cooper. And he made a flip chart that he used for eye examinations. The flip chart said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he would have his cataract patients uh, try to read it. And of course, because of their cataracts, they couldn't read it. And so then after the cataract surgery, uh, when they came in for a checkup, he would say, well, let's see how you're doing. And they, he would have them look at the flip chart and read the flip chart. And they would look at it and say, wow, I can read that now. God loves me and has a wonderful plan. Hey, what does that mean? <laughs> and then he would have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. The story I read didn't say how successful that method was, but, <laughs> but I thought it was pretty ingenious. As you know, a couple of Sundays ago, we started a series on the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, which are called in our Bibles 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We saw the first Sunday the story of how this church got started, as it was related to us in Acts chapter 17. So the first, first sermon in this series was from Acts 17, which tells how this church got started. And then last Sunday we looked at the first chapter in 1 Thessalonians. And we saw in that first chapter Paul expressing his great joy in hearing the news that they, those Thessalonian believers, were standing firm in their faith which indicated that their conversion to Jesus was real and it was genuine. And we saw coming from, out from that, the marks, what the marks of a genuine conversion are. So that was last week. Today we'll be looking at the first 12 verses of chapter 2. 
And Paul in these verses is still kind of reminiscing about his time there in Thessalonica, as he did in chapter 1. Here he is reliving how he preached the gospel to them and is reminding them of how he and Silas, and I think Timothy was there with him, but how they conducted themselves while they were there and how they shared with him the truth about the Messiah and who is Jesus. And as Paul writes all of this down in this letter to them, some things come out as to how to correctly present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these things that come out here are, are deeper than just... Um, excuse me. I'm going to get tangled up in the cords here. <laughs> these things that come out here are deeper than just interest-catching gimmicks, like an ophthalmologist flip chart. <laughs> They're more foundational. Things that just need to be there. When we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're going to do it effectively. So let's look at them. We need to have a good understanding of what is needed in effective presentation of the gospel. And a study of the foundations of the presentation of the gospel that's come out in these verses will give us a better understanding of that. So there's just two things that I see here that I want to bring out that are foundational things when we present the gospel. Number one... The message of the gospel is right. The message of the gospel is right. Let's start reading in, in verse 1. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness of our God, or in our God, to speak to you the gospel of God amid much, much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity. Or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but, but God who examines our hearts. So let's just stop there. Paul relates how they came to them from Philippi, where they had been persecuted and mistreated and insulted. Uh, you may remember the story of Paul and Silas uh, in Philippi. Uh, where they ended up being beaten and put into jail with their feet in the stocks, put in there for night, and, and how during the night, around midnight, Paul and Silas, they were there in jail singing praises to God while in prison. Suddenly and miraculously, their chains fell off and the doors were all opened, the prisoners were all freed. And the jailer discovered that and was about to kill himself. And Paul stopped him and said, no, no, no don't do that, we're all still here, don't harm yourself. And the result was that the jailer and his entire household accepted Jesus as the Messiah. That happened in Philippi. But Paul and Silas were forced to leave Philippi, and then they went to Thessalonica. So that's what Paul talking about here in verse 1 and verse 2. After the abuse that they had suffered in Philippi, they had boldness in God to speak the gospel to them in Thessalonica as well. Even though that in Thessalonica too was amid much opposition. Where did that boldness come from? Verse 3 says, For our exhortation does not come from error. And the way Paul puts that in verse 3, and everything he writes in verse 3, it, it kind of indicates that these were likely the things that those who were persecuting Paul and Silas were accusing them of. That message those guys are preaching, that isn't right. It's lies. You can see that coming from the Jews. 
who rejected any notion of the Old Testament scriptures that they taught anything about a suffering Messiah or that this man Jesus whom they crucified was the Messiah. They rejected that totally out of, just out of hand. And so they would be saying that message Paul preaches is wrong. It's an error. And then he talks about impurity, verse 3. It did, Paul said, we didn't preach to you in impurity and that likely they were being charged with preaching the message with impure motives. That they had a hidden agenda behind their outward facade. Maybe even charging them that this new religion that they were pushing encouraged immorality. Like a lot of the fringe religious sects of that time did. And then Paul mentions deceit. Again, likely there was a charge being leveled against them. That they were not being honest in their preaching of this new religion. As it would have been called. They were being deceitful. Their methods were manipulative and up underhanded. So those were likely the accusations that the ones rejecting the message of the gospel were charging against Paul and Silas. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The message that we preach to you is true. It's without error. It came with truth, it came with purity, and it came with no deceit whatsoever. And what I want us to see here is that the gospel message that Paul was preaching was true, and it is true. It is right. It isn't wrong. There is no error in that message. They were absolutely convinced about that without a doubt. It was that foundational fact that this message of the gospel is right that gave them the boldness to keep on preaching it despite the opposition. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died to pay the penalty for the sin of the world, that he bodily rose from the dead conquering sin and death, and that he ascended to God the Father he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. And salvation from the penalty of sin comes through Jesus, the Messiah, alone. It's given freely to all who believe in him and repent of their sin and by faith accept him as their personal Savior. That's the gospel message. And Paul and Silas were convinced this message was right. And everybody needs to hear the message, and that's why they kept on going in spite of opposition. And friends, this conviction needs to be foundational in us when we present the gospel to others. This unwavering knowledge and conviction that the gospel message is right. It is without error. That conviction must be there if our presentation of the gospel is going to be effective. And like Paul experienced, there is much opposition to that idea in the world around us today. In the world around us, people aren't all that ready to believe the message of the gospel, that it's right. People charge that the Bible is outdated. It's teachings... <clears throat> Excuse me, its teachings foster hate and discrimination. It suppresses people from being who they really are and from living out what they feel their real identity is. All kinds of things we, people come up with against the Bible, that the Bible is not right. Those are the things we come up against. And like Paul 
faced. We face charges that our message is in error. But it isn't. It isn't. Friends, don't lose your conviction that the gospel message is right. It is without error. It is true from start to finish. If you have any doubts about that, how can you effectively share the gospel with others? And in fact, it is this very conviction that it is right that will compel us to share the gospel with others. This is the message that the world desperately needs to hear. This gospel message, that's what the world desperately needs to hear. It's the only hope our world has. The gospel message is the only hope our world has. And we need to preach it. People need to hear it. So an effective presentation of the gospel is based on the foundation that the message of the gospel is right. Secondly, the presentation of the gospel must be done right. So the message of the gospel is right, and secondly, the presentation of the gospel must be done right. And again, I'm not talking here about slick gimmicks or attention-grabbing tactics or anything like that. I'm talking about foundational things. It comes out in verses 4 through 12 of Ephesians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 12. What does Paul talk about in those verses? He's kind of reminiscing about the time he spent there in Thessalonica and how they went about their business of sharing the gospel message with them and how they went about urging them to accept the gospel. Let's go through it. Verse 4. The gospel message was entrusted to them by God and they were commissioned by God to go and preach it. So their motivating desire was not a desire to please people or to make people like them. Their motivating desire was to please God as they obeyed him. Verses 5 and 6. They didn't use flattery when they shared the gospel with them. Or try to manipulate a positive response. There was no hidden motive or of, of greed behind what they did and how they did it. That was, by the way, something that was true of a lot of the false teachers who were going around preaching whatever message they preached. They had an underlying motive of greed. They were using religion as a means to get money out of the people, to pad their pockets. <laughs> and I thought, boy, things haven't changed much, have they? <laughs> but that wasn't there in Paul and Silas. They weren't seeking to be praised and glorified by people. As apostles, they did have a God-given authority, and they did have a right to expect financial support in return for bringing them the message of the gospel, but they waived that right. And they waived that authority so that in no way could it come across in a negative manner and in no way hinder the people from accepting the gospel. Verse 7 to 9 says they, they were gentle among them. They were like a mother in the way they sought to nourish them and care for them and provide for them. Just like a mother gently and cares for and provides for and nourishes her children. That's how they conducted themselves among them, Paul says. In verse 9, they worked hard while they were there, day and night. So that they wouldn't in any way be a burden on these people. So by doing that, they were able to earn their own way and still be able to preach the gospel to them. 
Verse 10 to 12 says that they were people of integrity among them. They were devout, they were upright, they were blameless. People of integrity. Says they were like a father to them. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. <laughs> interesting that Paul uses the metaphor of a mother in verse 7 and there in verse 11 he uses the metaphor of a father. <laughs> They're both true. And here, verse, verse 11, like a father, they exhorted and encouraged and implored and urged these Thessalonians to accept the gospel and then to live out the gospel in their personal lives. That's what a good father does. He, out of love for his children, he exhorts them about what is true and right. He encourages them to keep on going, not give up. He urges them or implores them to good choices consistent with what they stand for. That's what a father does. And he says they were like a father there with these people. With the goal, verse 12, of these new Thessalonian Christians that they would first accept the gospel and then walk or live in a manner worthy of God who called them into his kingdom. So, putting it all together, we see that Paul and Silas presented the gospel to the Thessalonians with pure motives. They came there, they lived with these people while they were sharing the gospel with them. They grew to love them dearly. They weren't on any kind of an ego trip. They didn't have any desire for any praise or adoration from these Thessalonians. They weren't after their money. In fact, they earned their own way so that they wouldn't have to take any money from them. pure motives and secondly they sincerely loved and cared for these Thessalonians that was the motive behind Paul and Silas preaching the gospel to them their love and genuine care and concern for them they did what they did out of their sincere love for these people that and obeying the call that God had placed in their lives they presented the gospel to them openly in transparency, everything out in the open and in a manner that allowed and that showed that they genuinely cared for them and loved them. They lived among them, shared their lives with them. As verse 8 tells us. Because they truly and genuinely cared for and loved these people. Thomas Aquinas that great church father from the 1200s <laughs> once said that when you want to convert a person to your view, go over to where he is standing, take him by the hand and guide him. You don't stand across the room and shout at him. You don't order him to come over to where you are. You start where he is and work from that position. And that's what Paul and Silas did there in Thessalonica. They went there. They lived with those people. They took them by the hand and guided them to the truth of the gospel. So friends, the presentation of the gospel must be done right. And Paul and Silas demonstrated there in Thessalonica what that is. Done with pure motives. Done out of genuine love and caring. They weren't out just to meet a quota of so and so many conversions to report back to their sending church, to stroke their egos. No. They weren't out to simply add converts to their church so that their church would become strong and mighty in the community and all would look at it with admiration and say, what an awesome 
No, none of that. They had pure motives. And they genuinely cared about these people and loved them. And out of those motives were compelled to share the gospel with them. So they could hear about Jesus and they could accept his offer of salvation and be saved from the wrath to come. They really cared about that. And out of that care and concern, they presented the gospel. And friends, those pure motives must be there if we're going to be effective in sharing the gospel. People are pretty quick to sniff out false motives. They're pretty quick to see it when someone is just trying to pad numbers or get some money out of them or just trying to build a particular church. When they see that, they won't have much time to listen to the gospel message. But when they say, see pure and honest motives, when they see openness and transparency, when they see genuine love and caring, when they see that the presenter doesn't care about money or a building or an organization or a particular church, but it really cares about them, then they'll be much open, much more open to the gospel message. That's how you present the gospel message the right way. Pure motives, genuine love and caring. So therefore we see from this passage the foundations of the presentation of the gospel that need to be there to make it effective. They are, number one, the gospel message is right. It is without error. It, we must be convinced of that. Even though dissenting voices are many and they're loud. But that's, that is foundational. That this message is right. And people need to hear it. This is the only hope the world has. And then secondly, the presentation of the gospel must be done right. Pure motives, openness, transparency. Sincere, genuine, caring love for the people. As Christians, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. He has called us, all of us, to share the gospel with the world around us. God has given all of us different gifts and abilities. He's given all of us different circles of contacts. He wants us to use what he has given us to bring the gospel to them. The message we have is right. Let's make sure we do it right. Let's take our time of silence and I just invite you to open your hearts to what God may be saying to you personally this morning from this passage. I'll give you a few moments. Amen. And may we all take what God has told us here this morning with us as we go from here and apply it to our lives. Music team, please. <clears throat> Let's stand and sing our next song together.
Thanks, music team. 
praise and prayer time. Anybody have anything that you would like to mention this morning to your church family? Something you'd like to praise God for? You're excited about that God has done? You want to publicly praise God? Or maybe you have something that's a weighing on you you'd like prayer for? So anybody have anything you'd like to share? Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer, please. So good, Lord God, as a body of believers to gather together. And so good to have a lot of us together this morning, able to be together. Lord, it seems like it's been forever since we've been able to uh, be a good part of us together as a church family on the same Sunday. And that's a blessing. We want to praise you for that, first of all. Lord, we want to praise you that uh, these restrictions were lifted, at least to that extent. There's still other restrictions in place, Lord. There are guidelines in place that we uh, are frustrated about, but Lord, I just thank you for what we do have, and I, I just thank you we could be together, and thank you we could sing our praises together to you, and now, Lord, as we unite our hearts in prayer around these things that were mentioned, we thank you we can do that together as an entire body of believers, and just uh, come together to bring these things collectively to you, our Father, asking, Lord, that you would meet these needs. And Lord, the, the joys and the praises and the blessings that we are feeling and experiencing, um, Lord, as we lift them up to you, we, we just praise you for them. A few of them mentioned, Lord, today for uh, uh, grandkids. And we praise you, Lord, for that blessing. And for those who have grandkids close by, that is a huge blessing. We thank you. It's a gift from you. And then, Lord, as Mark shared, the... From, from uh, Synovus and uh, layoffs, there's no more layoffs in this branch. And thank you, Lord, so much for that. And the people that, uh, that we know who are uh, employed there are safe and they're keeping their jobs. And that's, that's great news. That's an answer to prayer. We just want to praise you so much, Lord, for that. And then, Lord, for the, for the things that are on our hearts, we just pray that you be with uh, Penny's uh, mom's friend, Christine. Uh, Lord, thank you that she's able to be finished her chemo. And I pray, Lord, you bring healing to her body. And I pray that chemo would have been effective. And as they do the tests here coming up shortly, that the test would reveal that uh, the cancer is gone and that you have healed her. Lord, that's what we pray for. And then we also want to pray for the Budden family. Lord, you know the situation there and how having to take in uh, a bunch of new kids. And uh, Lord, now I just pray that you would uh, be close to that family. Keep them in your care. Give them your strength. May they look to you through this time of, of need and trial and reach out to you and find the comfort that you can give. Uh, so, Lord, be close to them, we pray. Thank you, Lord, that uh, Corey's mom's surgery went well. Thank you, Lord, so much that uh, that uh, things seem to be uh, progressing there. And, Lord, I pray you'd bring complete healing. I pray they would have found whatever the problem was and been able to correct it, correct it completely this time. And, uh, and, Lord, that you would just raise her back to health and strength. Pray for Corey's dad as he's not able to be in the hospital with her, obviously. And, Lord, I just pray you'd be close to him and help him, Lord, to... Uh, just have your strength and your patience through this time. And uh, Lord, I just pray for Corey's mom and dad as well, that they would that they would just, in this time of trial, reach out to you as well and find, find the comfort and the strength that you can give. And Lord, I want to pray for Irene's acquaintance there, Ivy Wilms, as she has been diagnosed with bone marrow, trans, uh, bone marrow uh, cancer. And uh, Lord, very painful. And it uh, sounds like, from what Irene said, the prognosis is not good. And... So, Lord, I pray you be close to her. Give her, Lord, your strength through this time and help them to lean on you. And, Lord, if it be your will, we, we ask you would bring healing to her. We ask that you would just do that miracle and touch her with your powerful healing hand and raise her back to health and strength. But, Lord, more than all, that the whole family would just lean on you 
and glorify you through this and watch you work. Then, Lord, I want to pray for Bonnie and her family, for her dad and mom, Lord. We just uh, pray for pray for Bonnie's mom as a stroke has taken more away from her and uh, and there is a declining going on there. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are there with them. And Lord, I can't imagine the uh, the emotional upheaval it is for Bonnie's dad and, and for her mom both. And, and uh, so, Lord, I just ask that you would give them your comfort as only you can, that they would just find the strength in you that uh, only you can give, and they would carry on. And especially, Lord, to Bonnie's dad as he... The pastor in that community has three funerals this this week, and one of them a tragic accident. And and Lord, how I pray that you would just be close to him, give him Lord the strength for those funerals. I know how draining a funeral can be, just one and and three of them in a week. Lord, that that's that's a lot. And so Lord, I pray you give him your strength, and give him your words to share the gospel and to share the truth and to share your comfort in these funerals to bring comfort to these families. Pray for this family of this young man who was tragically killed. Lord, just be close to them and help them, Lord, through this time. Lord, you want to think of those of our church worldwide, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Many of them are facing persecution uh, to a degree that we can't even imagine. And sneaking around behind authorities, to try to meet together and, and at risk of their lives if they do get caught. And, and uh, Lord, I pray you be close to them. Give them your strength to stand firm in you. And Lord, just by the way they conduct themselves and live in their communities, that uh, your word would be powerful through them. And many people would come to know you in these countries. Pray for our missionaries in these areas, Lord. Just have your hand on them and keep them in your care. And uh, give them wisdom in sharing the gospel. Lord, we think of our political leaders. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to give them your strength to carry on in, in a time that is very unique in our world's history. Lord, I pray that they would look to you. We pray for their salvation, Lord. We think of our Prime Minister. We think of the President of the United States. Um, we think of our, our more local politicians, our provincial politicians. And, Lord, that they would come to know you as Savior, that somehow, Lord, the gospel would reach to them. And they would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they would recognize the truth of it, and they would repent and turn to you and live for you. Lord, how I pray that somehow you would do that miracle. And Lord, as they seek to govern, I pray that they would hear good advice and get good advice. We know there are Christians who have been elected to parliament and to our legislature. And Lord, how I pray that they would be the ones giving good, solid advice and our leaders would listen to that advice and to follow it and govern our country wisely. And Lord, may we, as your children, be faithful and wise in sharing the gospel with those around us. Lord, thanks for allowing us to come together. And we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rod. announcements this morning. 
Uh, you can read in your announcements there. The Tuesday is Bible study at 7.30 at the church. Youth 7.30 on Friday. And next Sunday the same as this morning. Uh, April 25th, Seth Briggs will be here with us to present the work of Manitou Lake Bible Camp. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, see what's going on at the camp. And there in the bottom, our financial update. Uh, we are so blessed to be able to keep this work going. And, uh, and now we'll go into our offering. We can't pass the offering plate around, so there's a box at the door there. And uh, just thank you for all the support in this church. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing us so much and blessing us as people and blessing this church. Just pray that you will use the uh, gifts that you give here, to that we use it to your honor and glory, and uh, we can just keep the work going here in Lashburn and around the area here. In Jesus' name, amen. That's about in closing prayer. Lord God, we just want to thank you so much for allowing us to be together here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can take your word and take it home with us, and I pray that we would. Lord, we don't know what this week holds for us exactly. we got our plans, but we don't know. And so, Lord, whatever comes into our lives this week, help us, Lord, to live it out in the way that you've told us to live it out today in your word. So dismiss us now with your blessing. We pray in your name. Amen. <laughs>